Hello, everybody. It is, let's see, what day is it today? I don't even know. Wednesday, April 19th, 2017. And this is the promotional malpractice live chat here on MMAfighting.com. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. My name is Luke Thomas. I am the host of this podcast. So on the uh, podcast today, we will get to the news such as it is. That includes wrapping up everything for UFC Kansas City, a.k.a. UFC on Fox 24. We'll get to the fights coming up ahead this weekend, including Swanson versus Lobov. There are, of course, allegations out of uh, mainstream outlets in South Korea alleging that a UFC fighter, uh, independently of the UFC, now they're not implicated in any way, but on his own, took a bribe to take a dive, but ultimately didn't take a dive, so we'll get to that. Um, John Jones might take a tune-up fight. There's a lot to get to. There's a lot to get to, and the best place to do it, of course, is going to be in the comment section where this post is embedded. It's not in there now, but I will be sure to put the uh, link for that in the description box below. So if you're catching this on YouTube, I'll make sure you get a list of the questions at least after the fact. All right? All right. Um, just one small note of housekeeping affairs. I, so many folks have asked me, what's the MMA... A, what's the MMAAA up to? What's the MMAAA up to? Uh, I have reached out to them multiple times, um, and some of my staff on my show did as well. Uh, actually, mostly all of them, uh, and no response. And in addition, uh, tried to get Jeff Boris to speak because you know he challenged them to a debate, and he declined. So there you go. And that sweet, delicious hissing you hear is a small Coke Zero bottle. It's like Europe size <laughs> um, because Americans are fat. All right. Let's get to those questions, shall we? Doot, 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 doot. Here we are. All right. First question. Let's do this. Demetrius Johnson having his cake and eating it. Okay. Look, I was wondering if you subscribe to the idea that Demetrius Johnson deserves a seven-figure payday. I'm as big a Mighty Mouse fan as the next guy. But I also believe that in today's MMA climate, especially, pay has very little to do with in-sport achievements. I won't say very little to do, but there's a loose correlation. It is instead largely based on what you bring in, what you take out mantra. If DJ continues to fight at 125 and live a relatively low-key lifestyle that he can't, that he can expect that he can't, excuse me, expect to be paid seven figures as he simply isn't advertising himself well enough. If he did what Todd Grisham suggests on the MMA Hour, storm into the Fox studio, slap off Dominic Cruz's headset and cuss him out an emotional call-out, then everyone would be talking about this fight, and then he can start asking for seven-figure paydays. There's nothing wrong with either way, but I don't think we live in a world where guys with the most defenses and most impressive record earn the most money. Well, you might be right, but that would be sort of a sad commentary an extent i mean the question is does he deserve a seven-figure payday uh you know do i think he should be paid a seven-figure payday yeah of course do i think um i'm not exactly sure what the most certainly relative to the best boxers at a re relatively similar weight class he is underpaid as well um but of course the structure of the sports are different where those guys might be in better positions in headlining roles in certain ways so that the promoter can afford to pay them as such um you know, deserves is, is uh, you, you deserve in this world what you can reasonably get. Uh, the only thing I object to is the way in which you frame the argument. Um, does he deserve it? I don't know. Um, 
you know, if he can negotiate for it, great. Uh, would I like to see it? Of course. I think everyone would like to see it in some kind of abstract way. Uh, the one thing I object to, as I mentioned before, was the way you framed it. Like you said, you know, this is a what you bring in, you take out mantra. This is merely fans aping back to the media, in this particular case anyway, um, UFC talking points. This is not some sort of statement of fact about the nature of existence generally. Like what you bring in equals what you take out is not written as part of foundational philosophy in Robert Nozick's Anarchy State and Utopia, right? This is merely the way in which the UFC brass, who have a very uh, influential way of presenting their arguments to the world, have affected the general thinking around it. Um, you know, is there some truth to the world that that what you that what value you provide to the company um, is you know should be in theory relatively tantamount to the amount you get paid? Yes, but there's a number of different ways in which you can quantify someone's value. It's not merely what they can draw at the gate or pull on pay-per-view or on Fox in this particular case. There's a lot of different ways you can do it. And to say, if you're Mighty Mouse, you can say something like, uh, I might be the best fighter to ever do it. Having me in your stable as something that makes your general product look better and as a, uh, a way for you to brag about what kind of things that you do here, this provides value to you beyond merely um, simple transactional gains you get at a, through a turnstile or a TV remote, right? And I'm just making up one here, but there could be other ones as well. So um, that's ultimately an issue for Mighty Mouse and the UFC to decide. Um, we can sort of probably go back and look and see how big is how big is this gentleman here I have in my head. Um, let's see. See how big is Chocolatito? He has fought as low as minimum weight and as high as super flyweight. Um, so he's even he's even smaller, up to 115. And let's see what was his payout if we can find it for his last fight. Uh, let's see. I mean, he got 400K against Quadras. So even then, you could sort of make an argument he should be a little bit higher. Now, seven figures, that's a tougher argument to make, I suppose. But that's up to him. All I'm pointing out to you is, if you're going to make an argument about what a guy deserves or doesn't and what he reasonably has as leveraging power and what he doesn't, don't ape back to someone talking points you hear from a promoter. There might be a portion of that that actually is right. There might be a portion of that there is some wisdom embedded but you should always be skeptical of a promoter. They have an interest, not so much in not paying guys, but if they could pay guys less and get away with it without any real consequence, they probably would. Now, I don't think that that makes them evil. I think that makes them businessmen. This is simply, I think, more to the point. That's the kind of world we live in. Just be real careful if a promoter says something about why a guy does or doesn't get paid. It doesn't make them wrong. Sometimes it might make them totally on the money. But that argument about, well, this is eat what you kill, that comes directly from Lorenzo Fertitta. And he had that line in the famous fighter pay piece on ESPN that Josh Gross did back when he worked for them. And uh, that was an argument that he made. That's their way of thinking about it. That doesn't mean it's the way of thinking about it. And it's it's reasonably helpful, but not totally. So it says, deserve has nothing to do with it, but he does deserve seven-figure payday. 
All right. I've never understood that old saying, can't have your cake and eat it too. Well, why then bake the cake in the first place? Thank you. <laughs> uh, DJ needs to challenge himself. DJ is not going to go up into a set and act like a jackass to make money. And I know that some guys want to do that. And I know that part of us crave that. I'm not against that in totality. But if a guy doesn't want to do that, what he just really wants to do is be a really awesome martial artist, I'm going to leave him be. I don't want him to be something he's not. Uh, that would be very terrible. But he could go up weight class. That might help. Someone says advertising. I think DJ put it best. Did you even see a commercial for his fight? I didn't until the Wednesday before. And it's also a very good question about to what extent it was really advertised. Although the, the numbers eventually went up. They beat Condit versus uh, Maya for what it's worth. But maybe that's not worth that much. Luke, would you be interested in seeing one-night tournaments back in the UFC? I get this question um, with a fair degree of regularity. What I would say is I'm not opposed to seeing one-night tournaments in MMA. I would be opposed to seeing it in UFC. And people are always like, UFC is what's so special about the UFC? Everything. Everything is special about it. Uh, it is, um, in many ways, a revolutionary brand. As they have offered a revolutionary product. And there are ways in which you can poke holes in the credibility of it based on decisions they've made over time and including ones more recently. However, um, MMA will be what you uh, make it to be. What If the consumers put pressure on a promoter to act a certain way, um, they, they might be able to get what they want. And for me, I'm not going to use whatever space I have. I'm a media guy, but I'm not going to use whatever space I have to promote a product um, that is less than what I think the ideal product should look like or safely be uh, presented as. And so if Scott Coker wants to do them, sure, I have, you know, within reasonable limits, of course, I have no issue. If someone in Europe or Asia wants to do them, again, within reasonable limits, I have no issue with it, but I would not want the Ultimate Fighting Championship to do that. They are different. They are special. Um, it is why they have had such wild success. I think beginning to tamper with that in ways that are not really productive would not, would not be good. True or false? I haven't done one of these in a while, right? Make sure the audio is still working. True or false? If Cub fights Artem the same way he fought Superboy, Artem's chances of winning increases drastically. Maybe, although partly Artem's power as a finishing mechanism is overstated. But at the same time, if Cub fights him that way, Cub can probably put him more. I mean, look, I, I don't think Artem's chances are good no matter what. But, you know... I guess what you mean is if to the extent he leaves himself open, um, does that help? Yeah, of course it helps. If Sergio Pettis beats Cejudo next month, he will be DJ's next opponent, very likely. That or Joe B after his next fight. Cynthia Calvijo would beat top 10 fighters like Calderwood and Random Marcos. Right now, it's debatable, but eventually, sure. So I'll say true-ish. Aldo versus Holloway will be a close five-round fight and will likely end with a very debatable, controversial decision by the judges. I agree. I agree. And it's going to take place in Brazil. you got to admire the guts of Max Holloway to go down there like that. Pretty amazing, right? Ferguson versus Nate Diaz for the interim belt somehow gets made for this year's International Fight Week. I'll say false, but anything's possible. Nick Diaz will never fight in the octagon cage ever again. False. 
Fans who think DJ isn't among the very top pound for pound greats are dumbasses. Are they are they all dumbasses? No. So that's false. But probably a healthy portion. Kiesa versus Kevin Lee, Oklahoma, June 25th. Can't wait for that. Is a battle between two of the currently most underrated 155ers in the UFC roster. 1000% true. Totally true. Both Misha Tate and Rumble Johnson will fight in the UFC again. The key there is both. To that, I say false. Uh, Rafael dos Anjos beats Safadine in Singapore. Boy, Safadine's back's up against the wall, too. Mm, that's a tough call. Uh, huh. I will say true, but I don't have a very strong confidence in that. Uh, in defensive waiting, this person says. Okay, Luke, with Jacare's loss to Robert Whitaker this weekend, do you think this is a clear example of a good reason why fighters who are knocking at the door of the title contention should wait? Granted, maybe in the case of Jacare, he had to fight because there were other potential fighters ahead of him, i.e. Romero. But on average, is it better to wait than to take a big risk and lose out on your chance of the title like Jacare has done? We haven't, there's not been a lot of like 538 math done on this. So this is a very difficult question to answer in the absence of those kinds of things. But if you live through Rashad Evans waiting for the Shogun title fight that, uh, you know, never really came, um, you have a very jaundiced view of waiting. Sometimes... I wish we had better data on this. Like, I think waiting up to a point is fine. And that point being like, you need to have a date in mind about when you're really not going to let this go any longer. And really, this is, I think, relevant to this Mayweather-McGregor discussion. You know, look, someone... Jesus Christ. They calling me. Um, Someone asked me this the other day. They were like, how long... I think it was Brett Okamoto, because I did his Five Rounds podcast. And he was saying... Um, you know, how long should Connor wait for Floyd? Well, that's a great question. Really, only Connor knows the answer to that. But if I were Connor, I would have a drop dead date in mind. You know, at some point, you might eventually get there. But what if it takes two, two and a half years to get there? Um, that's not out of the question. It's very, very possible. It could linger on that long and stall and start and stall and start. Meanwhile, what are you doing with that? Now, maybe they're much closer than that. I'm just sort of pointing out at some point, if you wait so long, you ultimately risk uh, waiting for a product that might not come and in the process ruin your ability to go and compete meaningfully in the other thing which you came from. And you would really sort of be burning the candle at both ends there. You really have to have a drop-dead date in mind. In this particular context, um, for Jacare, no, I don't think waiting really made a lot of sense, to be honest. Uh, he's a top contender. I think if he had won this, you know, he didn't. He would have wouldn't have dramatically improved his position. But remember, he had just fought Tim Boach in what the Brooklyn card, if I'm not mistaken, it looked phenomenal. I, I had called that something of a tune-up fight. Um, he was as ready as he was going to be. He was not going to be any more ready than this. And in fact, he would he was staying active, collecting paychecks, and doing what he needed to do. Even if he was winning, it was very unlikely for him to get a title shot, given what Anderson Silva is still doing, making noise in that division, given how title shots are being awarded at this point, given what Michael Bisping is going to do about facing... Um, GSP and God knows what's going to happen with that. If GSP wins and drops it, like he was, I mean, he was always hovering in that space, but he was never really, he was at most a dark horse candidate for that kind of thing. So uh, as unfortunate as that might've been, um, there's a risk involved with any choice you make in this particular one. I don't think it was a bad call 
I don't think it was a bad call to go ahead and compete, given that he had already had um, that fight in Brooklyn. Remember, he's 37 years old, and and the ups and the downs of that are significant. On the on the positive side, I think he wanted to stay active. I think that's why he really wanted to do that. He doesn't have a lot of time left in the sport, realistically, at least not at a very competitive level. I'm not saying he's going to drop out of the top 10 tomorrow, but you get the idea. He's 37 years old. That's old, man. For a pro athlete, that's old. And um, at the same time, though, you want to sort of preserve what mileage you still have left. You want to preserve your space. I think I think there are times when you can finagle it. I think there are times when you can wait. But if you're closer to the end of your career than the beginning of it, if you just signed a new eight-fight deal, if you were, yeah, at the top of the division but not really a favorite son in terms of matchmaking, which I don't think was you know some scandal or some secret that he wasn't aware of, and you probably liked your chances against Whitaker anyway, you know, in retrospect, not not so bright, but you know you can understand why he might think that at the before the fight was um, taking place, right? I know what you mean. There are going to be cases where you should wait, absolutely, um, but I don't know. And then with McGregor and Mayweather, like how much of your prime are you willing to give up to get that fight? Some giving up some of that to get it, you know, might be worth it, right? Because the the payday might be. Uh, outrageously high and um you know what if he shocks the world right there, you can ima- imagine some reasons why he would want to give up some of these crucial years but there are different points where you got to sort of take a step back and, and i mentioned on the mma beat last week this sort of relates to chris wyman a little bit too like time off is a different question when you're at the top and you're waiting for a fight um and yoel's in a tough spot too because i don't think he wants to wait forever but it's, th- there are these questions about there's there's a time to wait and a time not to wait and there's a time to make a push as a contender, and there's time to take a back seat and really work on your craft and get your mojo back. These things are real, man. Emotional satisfaction, competitive satisfaction. Um, it's funny. I was reading an article today in uh, Fox Sports. Now, you can sort of say, you know, who cares what they have to say about soccer? And if you don't watch soccer, you probably won't care about this. But there's an argument about, lot, you know, why do English Premier League teams keep getting kicked out of uh, Champions League? You just saw Leicester... Um, lose to Atletico Madrid. Now, not in any kind of a hugely dramatic way, but you get the idea. And there are no teams that are going to make it to the semifinals. I don't think one has made it to the semifinals in three years, and they haven't won it in, what, almost six? You know, why does this keep happening? Why is it the Bundesliga and La Liga teams? And the answer was a couple things. One, they don't have a winter break. Uh, there's a lot more parity in that league. But the point being was those guys who play in the Premier League, like those, 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 that league has a ton of money, a ton of money, right? And so they're able to retract and recruit talent. But what's happening is the good teams are still pretty good, Arsenal notwithstanding. But the other teams are like a Stoke is able to pay for talent that makes the the so-so teams a lot better than they used to be. When you add in this competitive schedule, it just wears people down. They just can't compete at the same level. So in the case of someone like Chris Weidman, a time to make a push, a time to reset a little bit. If you're a contender and you're in a space where you can give up a little bit of time in your career to sit and wait, you should. If you're at a time when you're at your, let's say, Jacare is probably at his peak earning potential right now, you don't get that paid unless you complete a bout. Maybe it makes sense to go out and do that, especially if you know you're not really a favorite son for matchmaking. So it's a, these, these things have to be weighed against the particulars of a, a person's case, absent any larger data about when kind of decisions um, make sense and how long you should wait. Just for fun, who will win a fight first? Sorry, just for fun, who will win a fight again first? 
Ronda Rousey, Kane Velasquez, Ian McCall, Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor counts as MMA only. Nick and Nate Diaz, CM Punk. Ooh. Kane Velasquez, but maybe Conor. Who knows? Okay. <laughs> That's a funny question. Would you rather permanently change your name to Donk Donkerson or have to sit in a room for 48 hours with Face the Pain playing on repeat and only yellow mustard to eat or record a 24-hour charity podcast and find out your mic is off the whole time? Uh, well, this, the last one is really sort of like a, a real demonstration of what I've done in my career. So I've actually already completed that task. Yay. Uh, Luke, I really enjoyed your behind-the-scenes live blog from the MMA Beat. Will you be doing any more? Uh, on occasion, I, I I might put them up on Instagram or, uh, you know, those guys, when we come in, we have a little bit of downtime before the show. I don't want to make it everywhere every time where I'm asking Ariel and Chuck and Jeff to talk to my phone. It's a little bit much, but on occasion, I'll bring them back. Maybe I'll bring them back next week because I'm going on vacation the week after. So, um so I'll, I will bring them back on occasion is the answer, but nothing consistent. Uh, Luke, give us your thoughts, not necessarily predictions on some of the weekend's upcoming UFC fights. Iaquinta versus Sanchez. Had Iaquinta on the show yesterday, and I'm sure you've heard him on Ariel's show as well, um, seems to be in an okay place. Seems to think that his body is refreshed from taking time off, that his skills have generally globally improved. I asked him if he regrets anything about how it all went down. He doesn't. Um, whether that's a good idea or not, it sort of says a lot. And he seems to be ready to go against someone like Diego Sanchez, who Diego Sanchez is like the, the king of the placebo effect, you know. Um, I expect him to do good. I expect him to be very competitive. I really could see Diego stealing it. I could see Ally Quinta reminding, of his, reminding us of his quality. I could see lots of different th uh, ways that could go. But I'm very much looking forward to it. And I think uh, if Al can win, he can I mean, remember his last win was against Jorge Masvidal. Now, that was a controversial win, but it was still a win. Uh, so I think we've forgotten like what kind of talent he was. This is his chance to remind us. This is also Diego's chance to get another big win on his record. Um, we'll see if he can do it. Very, very interesting fight. Ellenberger versus Perry. Ellenberger is on my show today, so I'm looking forward to this one. Perry needs a win after being outclassed a little bit against uh, Alan Joban, big power puncher. We all know that Jake has been sort of subject to big shot um, failings in a lot of recent fights. So this is, and he had, no, he had a big win against Matt Brown though. So this is another chance for him to keep climbing that ladder. I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, both guys for different reasons, both guys in need of continual redemption. The win over Matt Brown by Jake Ellenberger was emphatic, but it felt more like it was stopping the bleeding than it was this resurgence back to the top. You kind of felt not that it was flukish. It was, it wasn't, it was just that um, to what extent can you make that a consistent part of your, uh, fighting experience. Lozon versus Ray. Just got action written all over it. Moreno versus Ortiz. Looks good on paper. Tough fight. I mean, Brandon Moreno's been taking some tough fights. Um, Davis versus Dan Dois. Dan Dois should have the... Well, we'll see. Alexis Davis didn't look all that great against Sarah McMahon, but Sarah McMahon's been turning the corner. Uh, Dotson versus Wineland. Uh, I don't see how Dotson loses that one, but you never know. Swanson versus Lobov. Man, it's a risky five for Cub Swanson to take because he is definitely the better mixed martial artist. There's no two ways about it, but 
Um, Lobov does hit hard enough, and Cub likes to swing for the fences, and that could cost him. That could cost him big time. So we'll see. Could be the biggest win of Lobov's. Oh my God, the talking that Lobov will do if he wins, especially if he knocks him out, it's going to be out of control. But the sport is one where craziness happens all the time. So we had to be prepared for it. Someone says Dan Dua versus Davis is a weird matchup of a judo black belt versus Brazilian jiu jitsu black belt with both fighters winning many, many fights via sub. I thought we'd get a unique grappling match or a weird stand-up fight. I'm really excited for that fight. You won't get a weird grappling match with Judo versus BJJ Black Belt in MMA. Highly unlikely. Um, Ronda was a bit of a unicorn in that regard, not merely because of her ability, but her style of grappling as well. Yeah, Typically, the Jiu-Jitsu versus Judo ones are either relatively close stalemates or um, the Jiu-Jitsu one might win positionally over time because they're better about positional control with Nawaza. Someone says, bro, Alexis Davis is trash. I don't get all the love that WMMA is getting. There are some good fighters, but Davis would never be on my must-watch list ever. All right. There you go. Letting it be known. This guy believes in honor killings. All right. Next up for Whitaker. Luke, what do you think should happen next for Robert Whitaker? A fight with Musasi, a title shot, or something else entirely? Um... For me, it's the fight with Musasi. That's the one I like. I don't know if that's what he wants. I don't know if that's what Musasi's people want. It's what I would like to see. Seems to me very, very fitting for those two. Luke Rockhold is coming off of a loss. Um, there are some other guys he could fight. I wouldn't be upset if they made Rockhold versus Whitaker, only because even if Rockhold's coming off of a loss, he's got that long-standing position plus former champion. I'd be okay with that. But you've got Musasi on a tear, Whitaker on a tear. Um, Musasi is not young. He's got a lot of miles on him, but he's youngish in age. And it would be a really, really great test for Whitaker because uh, Musasi can do it all, you know. And I don't think it's quite nearly as shop-worn as Jacare is at this point. You know, Jacare looked old in that fight. No one's really talking about that. When I say old, I mean old for Jacare. He didn't look like decrepit or something. But he clearly, I mean, if you remember, there's a, there's a really famous... Um, well, not really famous, but there is a reasonably famous inside MMA circles highlight of Jacare. I want to say from like 2005 or so, and it's two parts to it. It's him annihilating people in the gi and then annihilating people no gi, and it's all together and it switches, and there's like shots of alligator biting things. It's one of the best highlight reels I've ever seen uh, in MMA. Someone I don't know who did it. Check that out. Go look at how athletic he was back then uh, when he was in his 20s, early 20s. And um, and you'll see, or mid-20s anyway, and you'll see just like, what you know, there's been degradation um, naturally, of course, but there's just been some. So to me, look kind of old. I don't think you get that with Musasi. I think he's really well-rounded. I think he can give Whitaker a lot of problems. And I think Whitaker, who is just absolutely on fire, could give Musasi a lot of problems as well. So to me, that's sort of really sorting out a really important contender moment um, in the middleweight division. But I think Musasi is probably looking more towards a Luke Rockhold fight because they really, really want that title. You know, they want, they want, they don't want to, what are the rankings at right now for whatever they're worth? I haven't checked them out recently. The one is you know, Romero, two Rockhold, three Jacare, four Musasi, five Weidman, six Whitaker. Yeah. It's, I mean, not too many di different directions you can go here. 
Someone says, I would really like to see Musasi versus Whitaker since middleweight's such a mess anyway. Yeah, I would agree. Someone says, if I was running the UFC, I'd book Whitaker versus Romero on the same card as Bisping versus GSP. I would not leapfrog Musasi. Also, if I'm like Whitaker's been on a tear, but he's still young, I would still like, I still would want to be incremental with how I tr treated him. The middleweight picture who fights who? With Whitaker's win on Saturday, we got another twist in the middleweight division plot. Who's fighting who amongst Romero, Musasi, Rockhold, Whitaker, Weidman, and Silva? How do you think the UFC will match them up? I, I don't, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do with, do they do a Silva Weidman fight in? Brazil again, I don't think so. I'm thinking they do Silva versus Belfort, but I don't know how that's going to go. Um, I would try to do Romero versus Rockhold, if you could, and Musasi versus Whitaker, or Rockhold versus Whitaker, or Rockhold versus Musasi, and then have Whitaker fight, I don't know, another fight. He could do Silva. He could fight Anderson Silva if you want. That would make more sense at this point. You were going to pump up Kelvin Gastel in the middleweight. Why don't you pump up? Robert Whitaker and have him fight Anderson Silva. And everyone's like, oh, he'd run over Anderson Silva. And so what? Who's the future? Who's the past? That's really the, the salient question here. Ali Abdelaziz. Hi, Luke. Have you read this article about Ali Abdelaziz? And what do you make of it? I've seen it before. This is the one I think it is. Yeah, it is. I've seen it before. I've not checked any of the sourcing of any of the claims uh enough to know if there is any truth to it there might be but i think this one requires some vetting because there's some pretty outrageous claims made in there um so we'll see but it doesn't look there's heavy citation of claims so but i mean elite didn't sue the guy as far as i know so who knows i mean every managers are I don't know if they're as bad as they make them out to be in this story, but, you know, you guys get the idea. Uh, Nami Yunus looked impressive on Saturday and might get the title shot next, assuming Joanna gets past Gedalia. Do you think Rose has what it takes to beat the champ? And do, how do you see the fight play out? Um, well, first of all, let's see if the, the champ can get past uh, Andrade. I mean, I think she can, but Andrade is a horse. A total powerhouse in that weight class. I don't think it's anyone we can just look past. The other part is, in Jacek, she looks amazing, and she had those great performances against Jessica Penny and Carla Esparza. But I feel like she's been fighting a lot of five-round fights. She's been getting worn down a little bit. Seems to me like that has been weigh, uh, weighing on her to some extent. Like she, Not shop-worn, but those miles have begun to add up a little bit in a visible kind of way. And so let's see how she looks first. Even if she wins, you might expect her to win against Andrade. Let's see how she looks when she does it. Because if she is showing continual signs of wear and tear, I think Nami Yunus's chances increase exponentially. You know, do I really think she can take and hold the champion down? I have my doubts and I have my doubts she can kickbox with, kickbox with on the outside. But when someone is a lesser version of themselves, the bottom often drops out in ways you don't expect. And that to me is, is the bigger issue here. But like the very best in Jacek versus the very best Rose, yeah, I'd probably lean towards in Jacek, you know. But she's definitely gonna get the next title shot. I mean, I don't know how they can. She told me she's gonna fly to Dallas. They're gonna, or they're flying her to Dallas to go sit cage side. So, I mean, I, I mean, that's not confirmation exactly, but it's pretty close. Any news on Jermaine Durandamy's hand? No, they're looking for the two fourteen. 
uh, return. What do you make of the situation with her contract? I'm glad she has a sunset clause in it. You know, you see Jacare signing an eight-fight deal. It's like, I mean, if you want to retire in the UFC, yeah, of course, it makes all the sense in the world. But um, I don't get it. I don't get it, you know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I feel like these guys, there, there are, again, there are times when a long-term contract may really benefit you. In the case of Jacare, he's probably going to get paid a lot at the peak of his earning potential in what is probably going to be a mixed record competitively he will have for however much longer he stays in the sport, right? We just saw him lose. I'm sure he'll get back to his winning ways, but I don't think this idea that he'll go, you know, more or less undefeated will continue. I suspect he'll be up and down in ways he hadn't been previously. Um, you know, being stopped by strikes in the second round, it's a bad sign for someone who who uh, usually can avoid that kind of thing um, to a pretty strong degree. So keep that in mind. I think the other part is, um, you know, for if you're, if you're a cyborg, you want to give yourself options. You know that you've got a history with a promoter that has been sour at best many times and been outright acrimonious in other times doesn't mean you don't work well together when you work but it means it can be hard to work well together because it's hard to work um it's just really hard to get those that process going and it looks like they're trying to make it and maybe they will but if i'm a fighter we've been talking about this before like what is the real criticism of mma managers that you can make it's not that they're not out there in the media talking about their clients and trying to promote their interests or trying to get them sponsors or whatever the case may be. They do a lot of those things and they do a lot of those things about, about as well as anyone could hope given this, the circumstances. But what you see very rarely is any kind of contractual protection for a fighter who has a bout canceled, right? We talked about this with the show money versus the uh, win money, which is not even a real thing. There's no such thing as show versus win. It's just fight first, then bonus. And they're both contingent upon completion of a bout. And that, to me, is the real criticism of MMA management. To what extent are you guys really doing anything about that? What kind of really uh, safe protections are you are you able to get? So for me, that she has a sunset clause in there based on time uh, is good to see. She needs it because Scott Coker would snatch her up in an instant and make good use of her, too. They would make easy use of her, uh, and they would do it in a big way. Putting Cyborg on Spike TV, easy, easy, easy call. And they have a positive relationship from working together before. Um, so she's given herself some options. Uh, it's a shame that she would have to work as long as she did to never really make ultimate use of her abilities in the UFC if it came to that. But at least she, get, she gives herself some some options. So I think that was the right call for her. And it's probably the right call for the UFC because if you don't want to work with someone, don't keep them. I've been saying this about CM Punk too. Like, why is he still on the roster if you're not going to give him a fight? You know, it, it, I realize that you signed a guy and it's, very hard to figure out what to do with him. I get it completely. But if you really are struggling this much, um, let him go so he can go pursue his dream with people who are better suited as partners in that journey. Uh, or give him a fight. Do do what you need to do. But like just keeping him sitting there, guys have fought since UFC 203, you know. Uh, I mean, we're headed towards UFC 211 at this point. Like he should be out there again. Granted, he needs training time in between, but uh, you're not going to get better not competing that often, especially at his age when he doesn't have a doesn't have a day to waste. That's an Ortiz versus Brandon Moreno. I've been watching Brandon Moreno closely since he beat Smolka, so I'm really looking forward to this fight. What do you think Moreno's path to victory is, and where do you see his future in the flyweight division? He's got to be able to scramble with Dustin Ortiz. 
Dustin Ortiz is able to get the takedown when he needs it and win scrambles, either sitting for guillotines, taking back, that kind of thing. He's just going to always find himself on the defense. He's going to be able, when he's able to get an underhook and create separation, to get away immediately. Because on the feet, I think he can give Dustin Ortiz problems. And if he's on top or if he can reliably sit for a guillotine and scramble if it fails, I think he'll be just fine. But to the extent that at the end of something failed or the end of something that worked for Dustin Ortiz, takedown, double, ankle pick, whatever, um, that he is reasonably able to get back to his feet and avoid getting his back taken and avoid being on the bad end of scrambles. That's really kind of key. To what extent can you fire that butterfly hook, fire that underhook on the same side, get your hand behind you, get your hips out, and really go and do something? How, how well can you do that? How quickly can you do that? How often can you do that? Because if you can do that, it'll bring the portions of his offense to life that give him a, a, a fighting chance, quite literally. Where do you have uh, Demetrius ranked on your greatest MMA fighters of all time? This is an important question that I, I, um, I've been thinking a lot about. Um, I would probably have him somewhere. I would have GSP number one. And I would have uh, somewhere 2A, 2B, either Anderson or um, Demetrius. Maybe maybe behind, maybe behind 2B, um, behind Anderson, more likely than 2A. But you could debate this, and there's no real concrete answers. The only thing that was really occurring to me was, and I know this is going to sound like an obvious thing, but just he hear me out on this because I think there's another layer to the conversation we're not really having. If we're Imagine we have two people and one is more talented than the other, right? Maybe not significantly more talented, but more talented, right? And we, we just know that up front. How do we know that? I don't know. Let's just assume that. A is more talented than B. But B has a tougher competitive schedule and beats better guys. You know, the guys that I put in front of him uh, for the last 10 bouts as well, but they're not nearly as good. Or they're, they're good, but they're not as good as the one that B did. Now, if you didn't know A was more talented than B, you would be reasonably uh, allowed to infer that B is either A, more talented than A, or B certainly has done better uh, in their career, deserves to have higher accolades. Their achievement is literally greater. I think that's, an, I think that's a position that we're in. The achievement that St. Pierre did, he doesn't have the consecutive run, but I think beating the welterweights that he did over time that he did is pretty amazing. I also think that, um, you know, Silva going up in, in the middle of his weight class and taking on a former champion and beating him and, and the Travis Luter one doesn't even count, even though it should. And Luter jacked that up for Anderson. And, um, those guys ultimately fought and defeated tougher competition, even though I acknowledge that's debatable and where you want to put who, but the thing to me is I don't think any of them are as talented as Demetrius Johnson. Demetrius Johnson is, first of all, everyone's like, or, you know, flyweight sucks. And I'm like, mm, Joe B does not suck. Ian McCall does not suck. Um, Henry Cejudo does not suck. Like, that's a very, very talented division. It's maybe not as globally, doesn't have the same kind of reach. But I distinctly recall people uh, during Anderson Silva's title reign saying, what does it really mean for Anderson to get these wins over guys who are not that good? Yes, he had the Dan Henderson and Rich Franklin wins. But what does the looter win really mean? What does the Cote win really mean? What does the Talos Lightest Demian Maya win really mean? This is a different Demian Maya back then, of course. Um, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of that. And so I feel like there's a bit of 
MMA fans have amnesia. You're seeing it again with this World Series of Fighting, Professional Fight League nonsense. But um, I do think flyweight is better. But the, the big, the basic point is that the way in which we try to adjudicate who is the greatest is based on the success given a number of factors, not least of which is the competitive schedule that they had. And that's really the only way we are able to to make some kind of sense about this in MMA. All I'm saying to, to you is that I don't know that's a complete way to measure. Uh, I don't know that it ultimately tells us that GSP was ultimately a more talented guy or that Anderson, while as incredibly talented as he was, was as talented as Demetrius Johnson. Demetrius Johnson doesn't have the same ace in the hole, sort of a striking magic that Anderson did, but he doesn't have nearly the same kind of weaknesses, not even close. I mentioned it on the chat, what is last week or two weeks ago, like what makes him so good? The thing he is very bad at, relatively speaking, is still really high. Like he's bad at almost nothing. He's good at just about everything. He's great at some things. You know, submitting Wilson Hayes, taking taking him out from three-quarter mount. I mean, it's insane. It's insane that he's able to do that. Um, so, so who do I think is the most talented fighter I've ever seen? I, I think it's Mighty Mouse, but whose record of achievement stands higher to me, it's probably George St. Pierre, but it's up for debate. So it says Johnson never did what Silva did against Maya and Lighties and was never in a super tough fight on his title run like Anderson was against Sonnen. I would say the first I, mean, I would say the first John Dotson fight was a bit tough for him. He had to dig himself out of a hole there. DJ's wins are way more impressive. What this person says. UFC 213 with Jones probably fighting in UFC 214. What will the main event be for UFC 213? I have racked my brain about this and this person takes the words out of my mouth. Uh Nunes versus Shevchenko. I don't know what else they could reasonably do. On that one, um, it's not. I mean, unless they can pull Ace, uh, you know, rabbit out of the hat, Ace in the whole kind of scenario where they pull in, like, if not Brock Lesnar, some kind of crazy scenario like that. I don't. I don't know what else they can reasonably do. I don't. So that would be a great fight. I'm really looking forward to it, but it's not this blockbuster, you know, main event that I think a lot of folks were expecting. Good fight, but what are you going to do? I see Marlon Moraes stacking up against the UFC's bantamweight elite. I'd be very curious to see who his first fight is. Here's the top five at bantamweight as it currently stands. Currently. Jimmy Rivera, John Lineker, Rafael Sunsau, TJ Dillashaw, Dominic Cruz. I think any and all of those give him a very tough fight. I think he can beat probably three of the two. So, there you go. But John Dodson's at seven. I don't know if he can beat Dodson. Sterling's at eight. I would love to see that. Almeida's at nine. I would love to see that too. So there's a lot of really fun fights you can make for him. But hard to say. Someone says, would you agree skill-wise, Demetrius Johnson is the greatest of all time? Skill-wise, yes. Is his record of achievement as good? Debatable. Oh, he's fighting Asun. Wait, I didn't realize this. Uh, Moresh is fighting Asun Sao at 212. Sorry, I can't keep up with this. Shit. Um, okay, he's number three. So, I mean, if he can beat Asun Sao, there's a lot of guys he can beat for Marlon Moresh. 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 Whatever. 
Sorry, y'all. I can't keep up. I spent my post-fight show on my own YouTube channel talking about Demetrius Johnson as Wilson Hayes for like 10 minutes, if not longer than that. I am a dullard. No one Barboza will fight again. I do not. Can you think of five other arm bars as sick as the one DJ hit? Uh, I mean, Ronda Rousey's arm bars are pretty nice. Um, I would say that the Kimura, sorry, the uh, arm bar that Matt Hughes hit on George St. Pierre is a great one. That's a really nice one. Um, how about the one Frank Mir hit on Tim Sylvia, breaking it? That's a pretty great one. Let's see. What are some other good ones I can think of? So I can think of some better Kimuras. I think the one that Caro hit on Dave Strasser was really good. Um, the one Frank Mir hit on Noguera was pretty good. Oh, how about the triangle armbar Noguera hit on Mark Coleman? That's a good one. Um, and how about the armbar Noguera hit on Krokop? There you go. Those are some sick armbars right there. Boom. Someone says, alleged fight fixing from UFC event in Korea. Fighters are not allowed to place bets, right? I'm not exactly sure what international rules are on gambling related to uh, sporting events that someone is participating in. Um, the, I, I don't know. I'll have to look into that, give you a realistic answer. But let's talk about that for a second because I think that's really instructive. Every time there's a Bellator event, and I've written a lengthy article about this, yes, Bellator books guys who blur the lines between pro wrestling and sport, and they've booked guys. You know, I like Kimbo Slice a lot, rest in peace, but he was involved in a number of contests um, where there was some question about the authenticity of it. Nothing was ever proven one way or the other, but you get the idea. But my point was always, like, we don't really know how old men fight. When they fight and it looks weird, we're measuring it against a, 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 a standard uh, that is much more common, but involving many different figures in many different parts of their lives. And so, um, to me, it was always, it was always, um, whenever people were like, oh, this is obviously fixed. Look, he didn't do X looks, he didn't do Y, you know, trying to choreograph a felony or not even a felony, but trying to, well, it depends if they're gambling, but trying to choreograph something that would be, you know, ruinous, totally ruinous professionally, potentially a legal, uh, um, disaster for them trying to choreograph that in real time on national TV, even if it's just one person doing it by themselves, is very difficult to do. And assuming that there are dance partners in it and everything else, and that you can easily tell because the action looks jacked up, is just not really going to happen. It's not that we haven't seen fight fixing before. It's almost inevitable. If you read the book Freakonomics and how it affected the sumo industry as well as many others, you know, what you gather is that it's not the ones that you typically suspect as being fishy, especially in cases where you got a bunch of old guys fighting each other. It's actually the case where uh, you don't notice it at all, and there's a paper trail after the fact. You know, sometimes you can see a soccer match where a team seems to quit, and you're like, uh, something's up here, right? It's not that watching something, you're not allowed to ask questions about what happened there. It's just that you have to figure out what the best theory is that explains it. And in this particular case, it looks like what happened is allegedly – Tae Hyung Bang, according to some reports, um, was supposed to take a dive, I guess, at the end of the second or the third, and didn't. He ultimately won that contest. He actually dropped Koontz in the first. And I went back and I watched the fight today. Like, I don't know how much he was trying or not trying. It didn't look like he was trying that hard in the sense of, like, fighting a very skilled, disciplined fight. 
mean, he definitely was like gassed, um, but he was kind of wild the whole time, you know, and he still was able to win. So I don't know if he was just like, screw it. I'm not doing it. Or uh, I, I tried to lose and the guy just was not good enough to take it from me. I don't, I don't know what happened there. If the allegations are even true, but my point being is that's how you're going to catch someone. When there's a paper trail, when a line jumps from a guy being a two to one favorite to a seven to one favorite in a matter of hours, where where because it, it, especially in the case where it's just one guy doing it, you're not going to notice it. He's going to be so subtle with it so as not to raise detection. The ones that happened in Bellator I was like, oh my god, these are clearly fight fixes. All right, if they're fight fixes, show me the paper trail. Where's the evidence? Evidence. What, what do you have there? That's what I care about. I want to see I want to see text messages. I want to see bank receipts. I want to see transfers. I want to see bets. That's what I want to see. That's evidence. You being like these two old men fought like some goofballs while I admit is unusual is in and of itself not very compelling evidence of much. Um it's going to be quite the opposite as a matter of fact. So just keep that in mind and if you never read Freakonomics and their discussion about sumo and how much fixed matches were at least at a time almost part and parcel of the way the sport worked, check that out and how match fixing works and how hard it is to detect. Their basic lesson was it's very hard to detect just by watching it in certain sports. What's a lot more common is the backroom financial transactions that undergird this kind of activity. That's where you want to put your attention. True, false. So another one of these. UFC 211 card would be pretty good for... it. Uh, International Fight Week, and probably better than 213. Probably. Probably. Jones will not get a tune-up fight. Well, he already got offered one. I mean, do he, does he take one? Probably not. I say false. DJ will get to 15 defenses. Ooh. I say false. Because MMA is crazy. Rose is the worst possible matchup for Yin Jacek. False. Jeremy Stevens fights BJ Fights BJ Penn next. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. I doubt it. Um, do y'all know anything about Jeremy Stevens' trainer? I guess his name is Naughty Aguilar. I don't know him at all. But I've been hit, people have been hitting me up telling me that uh, um, that he's a bit of a uh, pseudoscience guru, training guru, functional patterns. I, again, let me be very clear about this. I only now have been hit up about his trainer, but folks are telling me that like he is terrible in the fitness industry. So I'll have to look into that more. Uh, Eddie Bravo's conspiracy theories. Oh boy, here we go. Eddie jumped the shark on last night's fight companion. I did not see it. Claiming to not believe in satellites, dinosaurs, a round earth, and space flight. After looking at the comments on his Instagram page, there were several folks who were pleading with him to basically lay off the conspiracies as his narrow-mindedness was in stark contrast to the ethos of martial, martial arts and inferred that it was damaging his credibility as a martial artist. What are your thoughts on the latest conspiracy craze? It doesn't hurt EBI and Eddie. Well, I think it's probably an overstated claim a little bit. I can understand why if you're a student with him or affiliated with him, why you, this would make you a little bit nervous. But Eddie has kind of always been dabbling in that world for a long time. This, if, I, I haven't heard, seen last night's fight uh, companion, although I did see and I did post on my Facebook wall that like um, someone started a GoFundMe to get him on a private space jet 
when these are going to be available to the public to, I guess, get him to the stratosphere, which would be kind of funny. Um, but neither here nor there. Look, here's the truth about Eddie Bravo is I understand it, and I do not know this gentleman personally. I've interviewed him a handful of times, but you, know, you have to understand that you get a very limited sense of who someone is often from these interviews, even when they're long and lengthy. He seems to me like a very bright guy. I do not in any way think that Eddie Bravo is not a bright guy. I do think he's a very bright guy. And I think the reason why he's a bright guy is, you know, when he expresses himself in a world in which he has clear credibility, that being jujitsu, you can tell there is such a premium placed on, there's such a thoughtfulness the way he tries to think through problems. And there's such a creative energy he has about finding new ways of attack and defend and entanglement that he, you know, he he likes to go outside of boundaries a lot and create his own kind of system. And I think that way of thinking has been really beneficial for him as a martial artist, as a as a business owner, as a as a leading figure in the jiu-jitsu world. And we are all better for it. There's no two ways about it. We are better for what he has done. A lot of the slander he had received for attacking the gi, or at least undermining the value of and the use of the gi as related to MMA. Um, you know, a lot of that's gone away because I think a lot of that he was really right about. And he has um, guys now who I wouldn't say he's produced any real high-level, A-level, elite-level guys. You know, he hasn't produced any Bruno Malfacinis, but, you know, Gio Martinez and some other students, these guys are really good grapplers, man. They've got excellent, excellent jiu-jitsu. So just keep that in mind for the future. But, um, but you know, I think that that open-mindedness that he carries and that way in which to explore ideas and outside boundaries, it looks like it has led him astray a little bit in terms of the known quantities of the real world. I also think it's a rather, you know, it's a pretty large indictment on um, what little faith a lot of Americans have in existing uh, institutions, be they democratic institutions, be they academic institutions, be they scientific institutions. I'm not one of those Americans who shares that kind of skepticism, but you can only argue that it doesn't exist if you're willfully blind. There is, I mean, how do I know, um, I mean, think, think of some kind of basic fact of existence, right? How do I know, um, um, okay, for example, how do I know the world is round? Well, there's a lot of different ways you can know the world is round. Number one, you could go into space. Um, number two, you could measure the way in which Eratosthenes did. Um, from two different cities in Egypt where the sun was overhead and then it, and then there was a change in the way in the shadows moved from noon past and then measuring that difference and taking it, it turns out it was 152nd, I believe, uh, overall in terms of the distance and the angle of a entire circle. I mean, it's a long way you can go and, and, and you, can, you can replicate some of these things, but here's the basic answer. The basic answer for all of us is that a lot of really smart people like scientists who have studied this assures us that it is true. That you could go and verify it with extraordinary amounts of effort is probably true. But the real answer there is that I trust those scientists, right? Um, there is a degree to which I'm willing to cede their mastery of the evidence in place, their willingness to be forthright with it, and the accumulative wisdom that all is shared therein. I then look at that and I say, okay, I trust that that's the answer there. When that trust becomes eroded, for any number of different reasons, and you can sort of make your own claims about why it's been eroded in the scientific community, but when, those, when that trust has been eroded to a significant degree, then the ability to have any kind of claim, any kind of truth claim that has any valence about the real world 
goes away or at least can be badly impacted. And so how does a really, really bright guy like Eddie Bravo, who has done, who has, I mean, truly this guy's a bit of a grappling pioneer, right? Um, who has been wildly successful, who clearly thinks through problems, who clearly has problem-solving skills, who is a dedicated martial artist, how does he end up in a place where he is questioning, you know, sort of basic tenets of um, scientific history? It's because we've had an incredible erosion in institutions. Uh, he might take it to an extreme, but I think he is emblematic of a bit of a problem of the age in which we are living. Someone says, if he was just a fighter or a coach, he would be okay, in my opinion, but he's a pr promoter and a gym owner. Even being stupid, he has the right of thinking that. I don't think Eddie Bravo is stupid. I think it's a big mistake to assume he's stupid. Not something I agree with. But lately, he's been pushing way too hard. He's certainly making a lot of headlines with it. You guys ask me about it all the time. Part of me wants to believe that he's doing this just for fun. At the end of the day, I think he, it does hurt EBI and himself. Um, I don't know. I don't know all the things that he doesn't really believe and not believe. Someone says, like most conspiracy theorists, he's at most fanatic or at least ideological. People arguing with him is largely pointless. Someone says, Eddie's never been known as a public intellectual or have had any expertise in anything outside of BJJ. His innovations, understanding of the game, and success of his students is what he's built his credibility on, not his opinions on the root causes of geopolitical instability within the Middle East in the post-9-11 world or the nature of U.S. domestic politics in the 21st century. There's many successful public figures in the TMA, BJJ, and MMA worlds with crazier and far more disturbing backgrounds and interests than Eddie. EBI and 10th Planet are very successful business enterprises and seem to be growing. It doesn't seem like there's any evidence for his penchant for crazy conspiracy theories is damaging his credibility or his business. Agreed. Uh, or would likely be in the future. I don't think you could put him out in the front of a huge Fortune 500 company, but it's almost part of his brand at this point, being an alternative thinker with alternative facts. But the point being is, like, it's not, it's not why. No, I don't expect. I don't. I don't expect. You know, um, Edward Said level uh, understanding of um, Orientalism from Eddie Bravo, but it's different than saying, why is a guy who, I mean, you know, being good at jujitsu and having some, some business acumen does not necessarily mean that you're uh, a genius, but I think what it would say is it, it, the way in which he's able to communicate ideas and the way in which he has been able to build something clearly tells us he's probably not an idiot. I, I really don't buy that at all, but more that why that's somebody that is so successful in that realm and has such creative ideas can be subject to the kind of erosion in in um, trust-run institutions. I think that's the bigger bigger concern here. No, I don't expect him to know, um, you know, um, how to how to you know to, to to add any ideas to solving Fermat's last theorem. But I don't need him to. What I need him to do is basically what every other ordinary citizen, more or less, does, which is have a trust enough in a scientific body or idea with requisite evidence to just more or less accept it due, due to trust. That is essentially the, the bedrock of, um, uh, I won't say how society functions because that's an oversimplification, but that is, that is essential to the exchange of ideas. Someone says maybe he's just high. Seems like a decent possibility as well. 
Hunt versus Lewis. How do you see this fight playing out, and can you do a quick breakdown? Man, I have to think about that for a second. I have to think about that one for a second. I haven't thought about that fight at all. Um, huh. I suspect it's going to look relatively similar-ish to the Nelson fight. You know what? I don't want to give you a bad answer. Let me think about that one. Someone says, hi, Luke. I'm getting married the Monday after 2-11 in Houston. Want to come down. <laughs> I'm leaving town that Friday morning. Sorry, y'all. Also, where is his recent loss leave Jacare? He has time to climb back up the ladder. He has plenty of time to climb up back at the ladder. I just don't know that he will. But I'll be in Houston just for that, just for a couple of days, not, not anything significant. So congratulations on getting married. I hope you have a prenup. All right. Let's see if my mic is still working. Yes. So what do I owe the honor? What'd you make of Diego Sanchez's MMA Hour interview on Monday? I still not have heard it. I apologize. I got to get around to it. I have to. I have my my own podcast, my own radio show on Monday, so sometimes I get a little bit behind on those interviews. But as I understand it, it was pretty crazy. I interviewed him like uh, about a month ago or something, and he was crazy back then. I can only imagine how ratcheted up he is by now. So I heard good things about it. I will definitely check it out. What I do typically, I do my catch up on the train ride on Thursdays because I have a four hour train ride each way. And so I get up at like 5.45 in the morning. I get I get my train usually around 8 o'clock. And then I have like four hours to just prep or catch up on stuff. That's usually where I do that. So if you have something to send me, hit me in that window and there's a better chance I'll get it. All right, what's next for DC? Hey, Luke, first let me thank you for all the content and the great live chat t-shirts. Thank you, guys. I always appreciate that. And there's another one coming out, but let me go on vacation week after next and then we'll get to the next one. Uh, with the observations made after DC's last fight looking his age, difficulty making weight, and the recent Twitter ranting going on with Manawa. What do you think is his best fight for DC next? A fight with Manawa with all the risks that go uh, that would entail, and then probably a fight Jones, or a fight with a ring Rusty Jones and go all in with the risk of being only the champion when Jones wasn't able to compete. Greetings from Geneva, Switzerland. Geneva, a wonderful place if you've never been. Um, this is a complicated one. Or maybe it's not, but here's what I mean. It's complicated in the following sense. Someone was asking me, like, should John take a tune-up bout? And I, my answer is, if I'm just John Jones and I'm thinking, I'm thinking the answer is yes for a couple of reasons. One, I don't know how John is and feels. I've talked to his coaches. They're not, they would take a tune-up fight if offered, but not any tune-up fight. Like, it really depends on what John would want to do, of course, but they do think, here's what I would say. They're not, like, desperate to take one, but they're intrigued by the possibility, right? So just keep that in mind. That's the first thing I would say. Second thing I would say is if I'm John and I'm thinking about it, two years off is a lot. And the rule of the ring rust is it doesn't affect everyone all the time in every fight, but it affects most fighters most of the time in most fights where it's where it's relevant. And I, I don't know to what extent he's going to experience ring rust or to what extent he can even overcome ring rust even if he experiences it. But I don't know why he needs to take a risk doing that. If you can beat a guy who's overmatched and you can do it and you can have a quick turnaround, that's the that's to me the best way to go plus if dc does take the manual fight by you taking a tune-up fight um i suspect given that relatively quick turnaround he'll be re ready to rock by then now you might say look there's a number of problems with that and there are there's never really easy answer i would say that the case of chris wyman taking the tune-up contest after losing to romero was much stronger than this one there's a number of problems with john jones taking a tune-up not least of which is any number of delays that could happen through injuries whatever the case may be on that one 
um, second. Um, if you take the tune-up fight, who would it even be against? Promotionally, how do you manage that? Three, maybe you don't need it at all. Four, if you take it um, and DC loses to Manawa, then you lose that fight. There's a lot of problems with it, which I recognize. And that's the other side of the equation. You know, speaking from DC's position, it's hard to know exactly what he wants. I think that he kind of want to makes he kind of wants to make John Jones wait a little bit, um, if he can. But I think that the Manawa fight is certainly not a tune-up fight. Like Manawa is the best he's ever been. He might be overmatched, given DC's ability to take a shot in his wrestling. And if he can, you know, if he can compete relatively on a, on a regular schedule, then. Um, he might be better. Like, so, for example, I asked Demetrius Johnson on Monday, how would you grade your performance? And he gave me an answer. And I was like, okay, how would you grade your performance relative to the grade you gave yourself in the Tim Elliott fight? And his answer was much higher because before the Tim Elliott fight had happened, there was a bit of a layoff, and this one came relatively close. He had finally got back to it. If Cormier can keep his weight down, he can stay in the gym, and he can stay healthy, I expect a better version of Cormier relative to the one we saw against Anthony Johnson. So um, so that seems like a reasonable a way to go. Um, but you know, it's just a question of here's the only place I don't want to be. I do not like whenever I bring up a tune-up fight in MMA, unless it's something like the number Gameda Horcher fight where it's like last minute injury, you just got to get something out there. Um, most people find a reason to not say this time. In other words, a lot of people will say, okay, the, the idea of a tune-up seems interesting to me. And yet, every circumstance in which I introduce it, they always find a reason to say no. Uh, Ronda Rousey should have gotten a tune-up fight before that and didn't. And she got absolutely waxed and was probably done. Chris Weidman, I really believed, needed a tune-up fight after that Romero contest and didn't get one, partly by his, certainly by his own choosing even. Uh, and I feel like that backfired as well. Um, now, I mean, there's many other cases as well, but now here we are with Jones. Again, I'm perfectly willing to admit this case is not nearly as airtight as those two were. There are problems with it. But I don't want to be in a place where the fight is over and someone doesn't look like themselves. Not wins or loses. I'm not invested in that. I don't care if Jones loses if he looks like the Jones we are accustomed to seeing. And I don't care if DC wins or loses if he looks relatively close to the DC we are accustomed to seeing. What I don't want to see is a version of Jones that is just not himself because he needed something else to get him going before this contest. That's the only place I don't want to be, because that would be a waste. That would be a waste. That would be a, another indication that we could have done this differently. In the case of Ronda Rousey, you know, maybe she would have retired after that one fight, even if she had won. But to me, it was like, you know, you, <laughs> how, many, how much carnage do we have to cause before people are like, okay, okay, maybe there's something to be said for some tune-up fights. I'm, I'm going to say it one last time. I agree that this time it's a little bit more complicated of a debate. There is a very good argument to not make it this time. I just want to get people to start thinking about those things for future consideration in other contests because they clearly have value. Luke, what do you think the chances are seeing either Diaz brother during International Fight Week? At a meet and greet at a local cannabis shop? Probably high.
Luke, I won't say Jacare sucks. Good, you shouldn't. But it's but it's true that he had a pretty easy UFC run that made him look way better than he really is, in my opinion. Especially with his striking, since he fought guys that well. He is seven to two, but here are his wins. Kamozi twice, Belfort, Okami, Carmont, Boach, and Musasi. And that Musasi was still dealing with some knee injuries. Nobody else in that record would be in top three except for Musasi, and the other guys he beat were never top five. But beating those guys put him in a title contention spot. Do you think that maybe we overestimate him based on his previous opponents? Well, he had a good strike force run. He beat the guys that were put in front of him, and he beat a lot of them handily. Remember that. It wasn't like he was getting a lot of tough fights where they pushed him to the limits necessarily either. Um, but yeah, strength of schedule in hindsight. We always do this a little bit, but to your point, in this particular case, the strength of schedule that Jacare enjoyed was not the best. They tried to make that Rockhold rematch. That would have told us a lot, obviously. In retrospect, it looks like Rockhold would have had his way, maybe. maybe. But who's to say? But it's, it's a good point. I think in this particular case, there's something to be said for uh, he's clearly a talented guy, but he didn't exactly have the roughest road up there. Another question about Lawler Cerrone. I feel like I went over that last week or two weeks before. The last thing I'll say on Lawler Cerrone until we get a little bit closer to the contest is um, let's see if they're the same, especially Robbie Lawler after that vicious KO. And uh, that fight with Condit. I don't know if those guys will ever be the same, to be honest. So let's just see. Does Nick Diaz ever fight again? Oh, boy. Oh, this is a good question. I've been wanting to answer. What do you know about the situation? What are your thoughts on the WWE bullying of Mauro Ronaldo? Um, as you know, I would rather dip my genitalia in a bear trap than watch five seconds of professional wrestling. But I did hear about this actually, that essentially Ronaldo was bullied by some character over there, um, who I guess is tight with management or something. But in any case that he was bullied through the course of his broadcasting tenure there at the WWE. And as I understand it, he was very well liked by WWE fans, which is no surprise. Ronaldo is the best combat sports commentator of this generation. By a country mile. There's the number two is so distant, it's not even close. High level kickboxing, high level MMA, high level professional wrestling, uh, high level boxing. Like nobody else has that resume, and he's good at all four of them. No, nobody else. Nobody else even comes close to Mar Ronaldo. Not even, not even a little bit, right? He is the GOAT. Um, if I don't know much about WWE, but I know that if your company tolerates the bullying of one of its employees who has a connection to the public audience that other ones might not, right? To the point where he is forced out of the company because he had another bipolar episode, your company is trash. I mean, could, could you say something more damning about a company than that? Now, these are allegations. I don't know if they're true. I'm merely positing that, in my opinion, if they are true, uh, that says so much about a company. Your company would have to be a, a pile of garbage for that to happen and for no retribution, no no adult in the room to say, we don't, we don't, I mean, your phony machismo nonsense doesn't, doesn't this is not a fraternity house. He's not a rookie. Uh, what, what do you, like, this is 2017. So here's what I hope. 
I hope Bellator signs Mauro. And I know he commentated Ryzen over the weekend. And did y'all hear him with Frank Shamrock? Like he didn't miss a day. Like he didn't miss a day. So if WWE doesn't, is if, if they are enough of a trash company to let something like that happen, then they deserve what they get. They lose, in my judgment, the best combat, combat sports commentator of this generation, maybe ever. And I hope, I hope Bellator picks them up. I hope, I don't know, somebody picks them up besides just Ryzen. And I hope Showtime continues to work with him. And I hope he has a lot of success elsewhere because he's too good for WWE, if that's true. And that's a ridiculous joke of a company, if that's true. All right, it's 2.15. Let's go to the Twitter machine if we can. Yes, someone says Marlon Moraes will be fighting Rafael Sunsal. I will go with a Sunsal, but I guess we'll have to see. Uh, what do you think of King's MMA's fight? The Colombian fighter, you spelled Colombian wrong. Sabina Mazo. Yeah, from what I've seen from her, she looks like a striking phenom. We'll have to see more, but my wife and I were paying attention. She definitely looks pretty interesting. With Verdum uh, and oh wait, with Verdum versus Overeem and Hunt versus Lewis, is the UFC plan to put Kane straight to a title fight after two eleven? Ooh, that's a good question. Maybe he fights Nganu. Nganu doesn't have a fight right now. That's a good question though. Something to pay attention to. We'll have to see. That's an interesting development. One says Eddie Bravo just needs basic science education. Maybe they could finance that. He, I think he's had that. When someone there's a, a interesting article in the New York, um, the New Yorker, about why people to continue to believe in debunked ideas or conspiracy theories. Um, it's not as complicated as merely introducing him to a textbook. He is quite capable of of understanding this information. It's there's reasons that he that undergird why he doesn't want to. What in Cody versus TJ main event over Nunez versus Shevchenko? Probably. They could do that as well. Mm -hmm. Someone says, Real Madrid has the worst soccer fans in the world. Ronaldo urges Real Madrid fans to stop whistling me. Well, they have the ultras, and the ultras whistle to a degree that is annoying. But I'm sorry that the rest of the world... <laughs> If you don't like Real Madrid, I feel for you. It must suck to watch a team continue to do so well. But, you know, I have to tolerate all the slurping that people do of Barcelona and Bayern Munich. Um, you have to tolerate Real Madrid making seven consecutive Champions League semifinals. So, um, Oh, and by the way, three of the last four for Atletico. So the heart of European soccer is Madrid. All right. With Woodley starting a camp and no free contenders, seems like the only person he could be fighting is Nick Diaz. Somebody hit me up saying Nick Diaz got a fight offer that you would not believe. I've not been able to independently verify it yet, but if I will, I will share it with you. But that is not that's not what I'm hearing. Look, people say DJ should rematch Cruz, but one half of Cruz's record at 135 is built off of now 125. What? I think DJ should rematch. Um, the DJ Cruz one is interesting, provided. I would rather see someone fight. D I'd rather see DJ, if he's going to fight a bantamweight, fight someone in the top five first and then move his way up rather than right away the former champ 
or the number two or number or the champ itself. Uh, you know, so those three guys in that in that in that circle. <laughs> is Demetrius Johnson the Real Madrid Real Madrid of MMA? If so, who is the Arsenal? Who is the Arsenal of MMA? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, I have to think about that. That's a great question. Who is the arsenal of of MMA? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Because there's guys who are like losing a lot, but there's and they're still beloved, but they're still getting. I don't know. I have to, that's a great question. I have to think about that. Let me put that up on a tweet. Silva, 16 straight wins. Jones being undefeated and DC having only one loss. As impressive as Mighty Mouse? I mean, they're all pretty damn impressive. They're right up there, neck and neck. Um, to me, it's less the issue of DC. Rather, it's less the issue of DJ winning more than how he looked when he won. Um, I, I've just never seen such a complete fighter in that way. Again, it's not, it's not if you just want to measure against who he beat, I don't know that DJ's resume stands up on that one particular metric. If it's just merely, who did you beat? There are some pretty stronger re strong resumes, stronger than his maybe. Um, but it's just how he looks when he does it. It's just so it's just so flawless. Uh, it's it's just hard to get over that. DJ is in the same position as Rigondeau, respected by Ward, but not by the decafs. Someone says Travis Brown is the Arsenal. Weidman is the Arsenal. Faber, love, but never won the title and was always top four. Not a bad answer. Someone says Leota Machida. The Faber one seems pretty good. Faber. Um, minimum amount of pay-per-views to break even for UFC. I think 100, 150, 120,000, something like that. Oh, someone says Durandamy versus Cyborg has been made for UFC 213. Is that true? I don't think that's true. No, that is definitely not true. A bunch of us are about to edit you taking about conspiracy theories to make you sound like Eddie Bravo. Thanks, I guess. Well, 170 pounds other than Gunnar Nelson can survive on the ground after being taken down by Maya every round. I bet, I bet Jorge Masvidal can survive. That was your question. Not win, survive. He can survive. Jake Shields can survive. Um, that's probably about it. Sungun Kim versus Colby Covington. Who you got? Colby Covington, you know, I, I know the Irish hate him for very good reason. Uh, that's a tough one. Colby Covington might be that guy, man. news on Kat Zingano. I think she said she was close to announcing something back in December. She was supposed to fight on... Remember how there was going to be a second card 
was it right around 207, 209? Remember that? I forget which one it was going to be. There was going to be two cards back-to-back. It was going to be a fight night and a pay-per-view, and then they canceled the fight night. She was supposed to be on that fight night and hasn't had a fight since. I don't know what the holdup is. We all getting trolled by a fake aerial account. Louis Smolka looked more impressive in his loss than do, than many do in victory. How far do you think he can go? Oh, he's lost three in a row. I think very highly of Louis Smolka. I did a whole uh, Monday morning analyst about him getting into positions backwards and his ability to scramble and 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 whatnot. I think very highly of him, but I do think there are some tweaks he needs to start making to his game to you know keep him in the. Uh, you need to win, right? You need to win. You can. I mean, good losses where you look awesome are great, and losses where you entertain the fans can can be beneficial to an extent, but. Three in a row is bad. Three in a row is there's just no good news about three in a row. So um, I do think he can do a lot, and I do think he needs to keep some of the things that have got him here. His unique approach to grappling is interesting, but it's it, there's there's some limits to it. Oh, someone has the uh, the is this the yes. This is the uh, highlight reel I was talking about. Here, I'll retweet it. It's an amazing, ridiculous highlight. Oh, my God. This dude just standing Sayonagi in these fools, man. You forget how what an athlete Jacare was. Let me retweet that right now. This is the highlight reel. I mentioned on today's chat, Marvel at Jacare's Athletics. There we go. Oh, so Smolka needs to fix his weight cutting issues as well. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, we got a few minutes left. Let's get back to the live chat questions. Oh, wait, no one has brought up this, uh, which tells you a lot, really. This World Series of Fighting Professional Fight League thing. I don't understand it at all. Now, look, man, they're a company based out of D.C. There's a couple of venture capitalists based here in my city. Um, I guess, according to the Washington Post, they've got some owners that, Teleonsis, who owns uh, the Caps and the Wizards and the Valor. Um, you know, he's, I think he's a small part uh, of an ownership, but uh, they might use the Wizards practice facility as a place to hold games as well as the Under Armour facility near Baltimore, um, or the Under Armour training facility. I mean, that's cool, you know, but they only put in $25 million into it. I just don't understand it. Like, who made these decisions? The Does no one remember the IFL? The IFL had the team concept, um, and no one bought it despite many changes to it to resuscitate it or make it work. Number one, at first they had teams like the Tokyo Sabres and the Quad City Silverbacks and whoever, the New York Pitbulls. Then that changed to like the teams in MMA themselves, Team Henzo Gracie, Team the um, uh, Fighting Systems, and they dropped some other ones. They dropped, you know, the San Jose, what were they, the, the Razor Claws or whatever the hell they were. And then that didn't work. So then they started to make a Grand Prix where they were going to begin to declare who was a champion in a weight class. And no one remembers the 2007 Grand Prix, which was a disaster. A disaster marred by injuries, marred by contract disputes. Um, 
there were some guys who broke out from that system, but you know, most of them, so certainly there are not many of them around today. Um, they burned through 150 million in cash in less than three years. And, and that was that. And then Bellator tried a tournament model. And I think you can do a tournament model on in certain ways, but building your entire structure around it doesn't work. It begins to, you begin to not make the fights you need to be able to make that are the biggest ones available to you over time. You begin to bury guys you need to promote in certain ways. And as a consequence, you have to then make changes to it to make it work. And by that point, you're just beginning to erode it where you're asking, what is the point of it at all? The tournament can work in MMA in very narrow scopes, but building a structure around it such that you have a season and a postseason, everything else. This is a model that the market has widely condemned as neither cost effective nor ultimately your most interesting. And yet they keep going back to it. So if past is prologue, this will be a, a, uh, short-lived thing maybe they'll be the ones to prove that it can work maybe they'll make some changes to it that ultimately uh ultimately show us that there's a way it can be done on a sustained basis for a national promotion maybe they'll get an incredible tv deal they certainly have some big names backing it in terms of who's owning and controlling this especially in this city but (laughs) of like you had an organization i mean can we just say for the world series of fighting is like the worst name for an mma organization ever you had a chance to change it. The professional fight league is better, but marginally. It's still a really bad name. Like, they didn't even fix that part. And they don't have that much. I mean, if they raised $25 million, according to um, the Washington Business Journal, from 31 different investors. That doesn't mean that's all they have to spend, but that's certainly a big, the big portion of it. That's one-sixth of the budget that IFL had, and they only lasted three years. And that was when they had a ready-to-go network TV deal. So, so that's going to be fun. Okay, we have to go. Please give this video a like, share it with all of your friends. Thank you so much. There is a Swanson versus Lobov card this weekend, plus Bill plus a lot of stuff, actually. So be on the lookout for more coverage from MMAfighting.com. I appreciate you guys watching. Shoot me an email, luke.thomas at espionation.com if you have any more questions. And until next time, stay frosty. Whoop.